Buddha teaches us that this life is precious, that we're blessed to have been given the gift of this human life. I gave a, a talk uh, about uh, the preciousness of life and the reflection on the gift that we've been given of this life a few weeks ago. Somebody from the group had a very interesting comment, uh, a very perceptive comment uh, in the wake of that talk. Uh, they remarked to me that uh, sometimes it feels like uh, a very daunting responsibility to uh, accept the gift of this preciousness, this precious life, uh, and all that goes with that. You know, uh, that, uh, you know, recognizing the preciousness of life, uh, the gift that we've been given, uh, we want to make the most of this gift. And that, that, uh, that uh, notion, uh, making the most of this life, of this gift that we've been given, uh, seems like a, a challenging task. And it is. It is. Uh, uh, it is. And I think, you know, if we feel that, then we understand, you know, the, the depth of this gift, the, the preciousness of this gift of life. Uh, you know, uh, as Dharma students uh, seeking to embrace this gift, uh, we, uh, we seek to make the most of the gifts that we've been given, the gift of life. Uh, we take up that responsibility we take up that responsibility. I think of you know, the words of the poet Delmore Schwartz, you know, in dreams begin responsibilities. Uh, now most beings choose to kind of not uh, uh, fully embrace that this gift, uh, perhaps in large part because they realize uh, it is challenging to say, well, I'm going to make the most of this human life. I'm going to do what I can in this human life to make the most of it and, and really honor the gift that I've been given. You know, it's a lot easier to say, you know, let's have a Netflix weekend. You know? uh, so, uh, you know, as Dharma students, we, we accept this gift, you know. Uh, uh, and we understand that it requires a great effort. You know, this is what we mean by a noble effort. A noble effort. You know, it's this effort that we make to make the most of life. Uh, you know, and this great joy in this effort. This great joy in this effort. Uh, so, I mean, and that's very important to understand because, uh, you know, we struggle and it's hard and we're not always able to. Uh, to uh, do what we would hope that we could do uh, in this effort to make uh, uh, the most of this life, but we make the effort. And just the making of the effort brings meaning to life. Really, in many ways, that's where the meaning in life comes from, is making the effort to make the most of this time that we have. We don't always succeed. We don't always succeed, but the joy in life comes from making the effort. 
this noble effort. Now, in Dharma practice, and specifically in following the Noble Eightfold Path, I mean, the Eightfold Path begins with right view, sort of, you know, what I just said in the first few minutes of this talk really encompasses right view. Uh, and right view, of course, also encompasses understanding what it means to make the most of this life. Uh, it means, you know, living from the heart, living and taking action with love and compassion and learning how to let go of that which stands in the way of the heart uh, and taking action with love and compassion. And right resolve is that is just that. It's that resolve that, you know, I'm going to do this and make the most of this human life and find and make an effort to find the happiness that this life offers. And then the other elements of the Noble Eightfold Path, uh, the action component and the meditation component are where we develop the strength that we need to make the most of this life and to take up this quite challenging task. So we're developing the inner strength we need by following the path. The path is a path of developing this inner strength so that we can make the most of this life and, and fully, uh, uh, fully uh, be able to know uh, the gift, the true gift, uh, uh, the blessings, and what this gift of life offers. So uh, I'm going to talk a little bit today about developing inner strength. I talked a little bit about that yesterday uh, in our, our day-long retreat. We had a really good day-long retreat yesterday. Uh, so the Buddha has us in uh, this practice to begin to develop inner strength by developing our parami. Our parami is our, our goodness, our good qualities. Uh, parami is found in the, the ten uh, skillful qualities that I wrote about in the book, The Skill of Living. Uh, these ten uh, paramis, generosity and virtue and so forth begins with these first two paramis, of course, of generosity and virtue, uh, is how we uh, begin to develop our inner strength. Uh, and it begins uh, with, with generosity, the Buddhist teaching. You know, this is the first thing that he has students do in terms of developing the strength that we're going to need to, 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 uh, to uh, make the most of this life and to fully... Uh, take up this gift that we've been given. So when we practice generosity, uh, we develop inner strength. We develop inner strength. Uh, you know, this notion is very countercultural, right? You know, because we tend to think when I give things away, I lose strength. And, uh, you know, this is sort of the cultural message. And when I get, I get stronger. So if I get Things, if I get money, if I get uh, uh, different possessions, I'm going to be stronger. And of course, you know, as Dharma students, we, we question those uh, cultural notions. We question those cultural notions. 
real strength, real inner strength, uh, the teachings of the Buddha would suggest come from giving, comes from giving. So we have to, you know, I can talk about that forever, right? That's just me jabbering on, you know? You know, you have to see that for yourself. It's like the reason why I talk about it is because I know that it's true. And I want to share that with you, you know, because I want you to develop inner strength, because I want you to make the most of this life. I really do, you know. I wrote about in uh, the book, The Skill of Living, how, uh, uh, you know, when you, uh, when you become a member of a 12-step program like Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, immediately, right from the beginning, uh, what they have you do is to begin to try to start to help other people. You know, it's an axiom in Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're sober for eight days, you try to help somebody who's sober for six days. You know? And the reason why, uh, you know, that's suggested, or, the, or one of the primary reasons why that's suggested is because uh, it's the beginning of the process of rebuilding your inner strength. You, know, you come to uh, you know, a 12-step program and uh, like Alcoholics Anonymous and you're not feeling very good about yourself because for years you've done a lot of terrible things and have sort of wasted the gift that you've been given of this life. And I can speak to that from personal experience. Uh, and uh, we don't feel very good about ourselves. So the way that we begin uh, to feel good about ourselves or the way, the way the alcoholic begins to feel good about him or herself is by giving. And you start to feel good. You start to feel better about yourself. You're starting to develop inner strength. When we develop ethical conduct, we uh, are building our inner strength. So when we uh, follow the precepts, we're building inner strength. Uh, the five precepts to refrain from taking life, to refrain from stealing, taking that which is not freely offered, to refrain from illicit sex, to refrain from lying, and to refrain from taking intoxicants that cause us to be heedless. When we follow those precepts, we're building, through following those precepts, we're building inner strength. When we breach the precepts, you know, when we breach the precepts, we're actually in a position of weakness, which again is very countercultural, you know. As, you know, and of course, here maybe this is a little bit of a case of preaching to the choir, but sort of the cultural norm is that we get stronger by killing others, right? You know, the, you know, the entities that can kill more beings are going to be stronger than the beings that aren't. Uh, or that we get stronger by taking, you know? or that we get stronger uh, by lying. You know? It's almost like you know, that's sort of what the cultural uh, uh, notion is. So again, uh, this is a, you know, you know, people when they th think about the precepts uh, and following the precepts, the tendency is to think, Oh, this is just, you know, I'm being punished for being bad, or these are rules and saying, you're a bad person, you know, you know, it's the old, 
finger waving, uh, you know. Uh, but really, you know, the development of the precepts points to our goodness, and points to what it is that's that's good and strong within us, the goodness of our hearts. So when we develop in virtue, we develop in inner strength. Now, I don't always talk so much about my own experience. I very rarely do, actually, talk about my own experience, you know, as, uh, as uh, uh, you know, somebody who drank and took a lot of drugs for a long time and then stopped. Uh, part of the reason why I was a little bit inspired to talk about that today is uh, this week is, and I don't, I don't know if this probably been three times in the last number of years that I've ever mentioned this specifically, but this week is uh, 33 years since my last drink. You know, uh, so uh, I give myself a little clap for that. I know we have a few other uh, fellows here, fellow uh, beings here who are on a similar path or have been. Uh, so, you know, my own experience, you know, when I was taking a lot of, uh, you know, alcohol and drugs, uh, you know, I was in a real position of weakness. You know, I was never more weak than I was, uh, you know, in the last years of, of active alcoholism and addiction, you know. Uh, and, you know, getting sober, which began 33 years ago, uh, was a process, was a process of rebuilding my inner strength, re rebuilding my physical strength, you know, but as anybody who's ever been in AA for any period of time will tell you, it's not just about building your physical strength, it's more, more important, it's building your internal strength, your inner strength. So by following the precepts, all in the way of saying, you know, the precepts, you know, these, these, these guidelines the Buddha gives us are guidelines for developing strength. The Buddha's not saying, you're bad, you've done these things, don't do these things, you bad person. He's saying, you have a capacity for great strength, this is how you develop it. So when we develop the precepts, we develop our integrity, self-confidence, we develop our goodness, and we know that we have this goodness. So I want to talk a little bit today about developing inner strength by following the precepts and practicing generosity. So again, these are things that you have to see for yourself. Start to see these things for yourself. That's what ultimately is going to, you know, the thing with, you know, being in a 12-step program is you're highly motivated to try to get better, you know, but we all should be highly motivated to try to, try to get better, you know. So start to see that, you know, when I practice generosity, it makes me stronger. And I had a beautiful conversation with somebody from this group the other day who was saying how, you know, you know, they've been really putting a lot of effort into practicing generosity over the last few years. And, you know, and, and, and it was just, I mean, the person was very modest, so, it, you know, but it was something that I picked on. It was like, you know, this is making me so much stronger as a human being. You know, I'm developing this strength through this practice of giving. So you have to see that for yourself. You know, we have to see that for ourselves. Because once you start to see that, it's like, oh, wow. You know, because it's so different than what we hear, right? Outside of Sunday morning and a few other occasions when you have people like me talking about this stuff, you know? 
So see this, start to see this, because the more you start to see this, the more motivated we become to, to follow the precepts, to practice generosity, to develop our parami. In the same way, uh, you know, start to see how when we develop concentration, the way the Buddha teaches us to develop concentration through his instructions for breath meditation, that we develop inner strength by developing a strong mind, by developing a strong mind. So I want to talk just a little bit about how through concentration practice we're developing strength of mind. So it's another aspect of inner strength, strength of mind. So uh, what the Buddha knew and what you know, neuroscience these days will show, uh, you know, demonstrates for us uh, and tells us is the mind becomes stronger when we use the mind. You know, the mind becomes stronger when we use the mind. A book that I had read a few years ago, uh, which I kind of recommend, and it's in the, it'll be a little bibliography there in the notes, a one-item one bibliography is uh, the book The Shallows by Nicholas Carr. Uh, I think I have it here. Uh, a little bit of a, I don't know if you can see it, The Shallows by Nicholas Carr, uh, what the internet is doing to our brains. Yeah. And, you know, what, what he talks about there is how, you know, and of course this is all based on neuroscience uh, and other uh, teachings, how that uh, because we let the internet do so much of our thinking for us or the thinking that we used to do, uh, that our minds are becoming uh, uh, less strong than they were, you know. We don't have the same kind of strength of mind uh, that we might have had back in the day when we used our minds more. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's really uh, something that I think about a lot, you know, and this is a little bit about what the Buddhist teaching is about, and it's, it's also a little bit of a sidebar, but, uh, uh, you know, keeping the mind strong, exercising the mind, using the mind in a way that you're developing strength and maintaining your strength. You know, it's particularly important when you get older, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm very conscious of that, you know. As I get older, I want to continue to use the mind. Uh, so for me, it's reading, you know. And I mean, I, I like reading, and I like reading stuff that's like hard to read, you know. Uh, and I enjoy it, but it also, I know, it, it strengthens my mind. So, uh, you know. Get out your Hegel, you know, and that's this week's homework. Uh, just kidding. I mean, most, I mean, you know, it can't, you don't get, it doesn't get much more difficult than Hegel, you know. And, you know, for years, you know, it's like, I can't read Hegel. Hegel's too difficult, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's like, maybe I don't understand half of it, but I'm exercising the mind. I'm exercising the mind. You know, and there's other ways maybe that you can exercise the mind, you know, playing chess and things like that. But, you know, you're not exercising the mind, you know, when you have a Netflix weekend, you know. Which sometimes, you know, you know that can be okay for resting the mind and resting the body. 
one of the things that neuroscience has taught us, uh, again, which the Buddha knew, is the mind becomes stronger through the process of remembering, through the process of remembering. So one of the things that Carr talks about in that book, Nicholas Carr talks about, is that uh, because the internet does so much of our remembering for us, you know, Google, you know, remembers everything that we ever in the past might have had to try to remember. Uh, and of course, we don't have to use the mind so much to do research. Google can do all that research for us. Uh, uh, you know, because the internet remembers all of this stuff that we don't spend as much time actively remembering. Uh, and in the process, we're not developing the strength of the mind. And actually, you know, what the research is starting to show is if, you know, we don't engage the mind in the process of remembering, uh, the mind gradually atrophies. The mind gradually atrophies. It's a very important uh, concept uh, to, to understand with regard to meditation. Because in meditation, we develop mental strength by remembering, by remembering. So the Buddha's definition of mindfulness is mindfulness is a process of remembering. It's remembering, you know, and it begins with remembering the breath. So there used to be this saying uh, many years ago, and I'm sure I contributed to its proliferation, uh, there used to be this saying, it's not that hard to be mindful, it's hard to remember to be mindful. But that saying really speaks to a misunderstanding about what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is remembering. Mindfulness is remembering. Once I understood that, then it was like, oh, you've got to learn how to remember. You've got to train yourself in the process of remembering, which is something that we can do, which is something that we can do. So mindfulness is remembering. Mindfulness of breathing, and particularly the first step, the first step of mindfulness of breathing. We teach it in the beginner's course, the course I'm teaching now at Berlin Dharma online. Some of you here are taking that course. You know, we've been talking about remembering the breath. The first step in mindfulness of breathing, you know, we're engaging in this process of remembering. So, in order to develop concentration, uh, uh, you know, and we have to, you know, this is how we develop uh, concentration is through, uh, in large part, is through this process of remembering the breath, using the mind to remember the breath, to keep the breath in mind. Uh, so the more that we do that, the more we're able to develop concentration, uh, strong concentration, jhana, and that's our objective. We're trying to develop strong concentration. So, you know, a lot of these things I started to look into and what the Buddha was teaching and how to develop these qualities of remembering and mindfulness and strong concentration because I wanted to develop strong concentration. I realized after many years of meditating, I didn't have strong concentration. And how was I going to do this? And I realized just the first step of meditation, mindfulness, I didn't know what mindfulness was. I didn't know how to engage in mindfulness. And mindfulness, as the Buddha teaches it, is this practice of remembering. Yeah. 
So it's this practice of use. So, so what's remembering, right? What's remembering? You know, remembering is a function of thinking. It's a function of what in the Buddha's parlance is known as internal verbal fabrication. External verbal fabrication is what I'm doing right now. I'm speaking. Internal verbal fabrication is you're fabricating internally. You're thinking. So you're thinking about the breath. The specific term, so it comes as like a subset of internal verbal fabrication, is directed thought. So you're using thought to direct your attention to the meditation object. The meditation object is the breath, but you're using thought to direct your attention to the meditation object. So it could be very simple. I remember having a little bit of a conversation with my teacher about this a few years ago, you know, and he was getting into like real specifics. Well, it could be a phrase, could be a word, could be a few words, you know? I mean, you just find your own way into that, but you know, it could be as simple as stay with the breath stay with the breath, or it could be as simple as breath. Visual images are a form of internal fabrication, so you could fabricate a visual image if you're more visually inclined. You know? This is the process of remembering. It's, an, it's a process of thinking. I mean, I always use this example, uh, you know, some people would say ad nauseum. Uh, I think I use it in the book. You know, if, if your partner says to you, you know, on the way home from work, pick up a, pick up a gallon of milk, half gallon. Pick up, pick up for the purposes of our discourse, you know, pick up a, a half gallon of oat milk. Uh, you know, you know, so you have to remember to do that, right? You have to remember to do that. So you say to yourself, oh, I got to get that half gallon of milk. I've got to get that half gallon. Now, of course, nowadays, you could probably put it on your phone and the phone could remind you but you're not developing that skill of remembering, right? You know, remembering is a mental process. So that part I didn't put in the book, you know? You could put it on, you probably, I wrote the book before they had apps that could remind you to get oat milk, you know? You see what's happening to our minds. You see what the internet is doing to our brains, right? So in meditation, you know, you know, it's, 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 an, it's an old-fashioned practice, you know? It's an old-fashioned practice of uh, getting out and chopping the wood. You know, that's the effort. The effort in meditation goes into fabricating. It's like, what is the effort? You got to make an effort in meditation, they would say. Well, what does that mean? Well, I show up at the class. I sit there. I, you know, I get on the cushion. You know, it's a little effort to get on the cushion when you get all. It's like, you know, it's not like lifting weights. It's not. No, the effort goes into internal verbal fabrication. The effort goes into remembering. So it requires effort. That's why apps and all those things are so popular, because it takes the onus off of you to make that effort. Right? So we're taking responsibility, and dreams begin responsibility. So uh, the more we practice directed thought, the stronger the mind gets, and the, then the stronger our concentration gets. So this my practice of mindfulness, the way that we practice it, this process of remembering, builds and strengthens the mind. You know, if you want to use the terms of neuroscience, you know, you're building and strengthening the neural pathways. This is how you build and strengthen the neural pathways. We're developing strong synapses here. You go to the gym, you're developing strong muscles. You come to Sunday meditation, you're developing strong synapses. So again, you know, and again, ad nauseum, 
You know, it's one of the reasons why, you know, if you're going to use apps, use them sparingly. You, may, you might want to use an app to remind yourself of what the instructions are, but, you know, you've got to be engaging in this process of fabricating, of thinking about the breath, of, uh, of remembering in order to develop a strong mind, you know, a mind that's going to stay with the breath, stay in the body, stay in the present moment, a mind that has equanimity, you know, so we can have space, so we can understand our human experience and make the most of our human experience. You know, it all begins with having a strong mind. That's what we're doing in concentration. We're developing strength of mind. Equanimity is the crowning uh, quality of concentration, which is strength of mind. Strength of mind, the ability to keep your, put your mind somewhere and keep it there regardless of what the circumstances are, regardless of whether there's sickness, aging, and death, regardless of whether you're suffering and you want to investigate that suffering, you need to have strength of mind. You develop that strength of mind through internal verbal fabrication. If we're using apps, the mind atrophies. So remember this. Remember this. When you're meditating, so keep this in mind when you're meditating. Uh, you know, uh, the tendency when we're meditating is to, is, you know, there's entropy, right? You have any physicists here? You know, we're getting into a lot. Neuroscience today, you know, uh, philosophy. You get everything in this class. You get everything here. It's, it's all in one. It's all in one. So uh, I got so excited, I forgot what I was talking about. Uh, so, uh, so uh, you know, when you're meditating, uh, uh, the tendency is for the mind to, to, to drift, right? Entropy, right? I was talking about, you see, there's entropy. Uh, that wasn't even planned. You know, sometimes I'm very, you know, I, you know, I kind of, you know, that wasn't even planned. That's just the mind, you know. So, so the tendency is to kind of drift. Ah, oh, directed thought. Oh, I, I know Dubinin was talking about directed thought and, and remembering, but, you know, I just don't have the energy for it today, you know. So, so when you start to kind of let go of directed thought, of internal verbal fabrication, remember this Dharma talk. Remember what I just talked about. You're developing strength of mind. That's a profound motivation to practice directed thought. I'm developing strength of mind. I'm developing strength of mind. Uh, I'm developing the strength of mind that I need to make the most of this gift that I've been given, this gift of this human life. So remember that when you're practicing. You know, there's a reason for doing what we're doing. You're developing the strength you're going to need to be able to find happiness in this life. So let's just close our eyes just for a second.